I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Dr. Evelyn L. Parker. Dr. Parker is Professor Emerita of Practical Theology with Southern Methodist University. Welcome, Dr. Parker, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Westfield. So let's get started. Number one, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ah, I think I wanted to be a, um, I wanted to be in the medical profession. Uh, and um, I, uh, I, I had two teaching parents, so I never thought about uh, how that would enter into my life, but I wanted to be in the medical profession. And the closest, the most, uh, the quickest memory I have of what I wanted to do was be a medical technologist where I would actually um, take the blood of persons and or either uh, samples and work in the laboratory. So yeah, that was the early scene. So now a lot of our colleagues don't know your second career that that uh, scholarship, religious scholarship is the second career. Just quickly tell us about your first career because they don't know. I know Evelyn, see, I know. But <laughs> tell, them, tell them quickly about your first career. So uh, my first career was in the, the um, um, was in the uh, chemical sciences and then also in the biomedical sciences. So I worked in a, a laboratory at uh, Hercules Incorporated, which uh, I was, I actually worked on the bench doing experiments on uh, the chemicals that the plant produced. Uh, Hercules was a, um, um, an affiliate of the DuPont uh, group. And um, I got my um, undergraduate degree in, in the sciences as well as a, ma a master's in microbiology, but I never did agricultural microbiology where I got what that degree was. Um, I actually did human biological chemistry and genetics at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. So um, I did that for six years. And at the same time, I was a Christian educator in my local congregation. Uh, and I, I attended every workshop that I could find uh, on what to do in Christian education um, all up throughout the state of Texas. So, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Uh, I think uh, my parents were probably the proudest because they themselves in their earlier careers were both teachers. Um, and I would add uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, my high school speech teacher, Dr. Eloise Hobson, who uh, always inspired me um, when she talked about teaching. I would visit Dr. Uh, Hop I mean, yeah, she could have been a doctor. I would visit Mrs. Hobson when I would be home uh, during Christmas holidays. And in her later years, as she uh, became ill with Alzheimer's, uh, she would talk to me and you could tell she, she was suffering from Alzheimer's. But as I would get ready to leave, I would say, Mrs. Hobson, give me something to go on as I go back to Richmond, Virginia and, and do my work as a uh, faculty member there. And she said, Evelyn, it was as if she came straight, straight from wherever she was in her Alzheimer's to this very presence with me of this place of knowing exactly who I was and what I was talking about. She said, always love them. Never stop loving them. Always be a loving teacher. And I would just float out the door on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? Mm 
Um, I was surprised with uh, the pushback, the resilience, the the conflict that one has. Uh, and that was one of the reasons I would always ask Ms. Mrs. Hobson to give me some words of advice because uh, uh, in my earlier days of teaching, I had had some conflict, uh, particularly in uh, mixed race classrooms. And uh, uh, I was in uh, Virginia uh, and there were students in my class that had never had an African American teacher and um, of uh, both black and white, uh, not on the graduate level. And so uh, some of the things that would take place, I was uh, just taken aback. Uh, so, and I must say here that teaching was in my second career. I didn't teach in my first career. I was in the laboratories um, mm -hmm. in my first career. So teaching in my second career was um, was in theological education. And I would seek advice on how to negotiate um, difficulties with people who had been seasoned teachers. I didn't care where they had been seasoned. And she had been my high school teacher. So she was one of several that I would say, well, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. she would always give good advice. Okay. What is a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loving person? Um, favorite nickname? Uh, Evie, uh, sh short for Evelyn. Uh, mm -hmm. It's uh, the way the, uh, friends who call me Evie uh, would say it so endearingly. I, I love to hear them say Evie. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, Evie. Okay. okay. What profession, other than teaching, would you like to attempt now or in the future? <laughs> I'd like to go back to the laboratory. Is that right? <laughs> and, wow. Yes, I'm actually working hard to pull together theological education and um, biomedical sciences in every way I can. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to read, I, I, I unfortunately, uh, I was educated in a way that science and religion and theology don't meet, but they do. And, um, and so uh, my quest now is to integrate the two. So yeah, I'd love to uh, work part-time in a biomedical laboratory again. Mm -hmm. um, I had lots of good colleagues. Uh, it was actually uh, in the laboratory where people would clandestinely asked me to pray for them because I knew I was in the church. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took uh, the course that I took um, to give me the the determination, well, to make, help me make the decision to move from the biomedical sciences to, um, to the uh, theological education was a, sci a course titled uh, Religion and Medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that course uh, was pivotal in my decision to move out of the laboratory into uh, going to seminary at Perkins School of Theology. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd go back to doing that because I, I know now how to connect some of those dots. Mm -hmm. So Kenneth and Guam runs a, a medicine, which is a little different, but a medicine and religion project out of uh, Drew Theological Seminary. You might want to talk to Kenneth, but anyway, I digress. Okay. Um, okay. Do you enjoy writing in longhand? And if so, what is your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? I, I do enjoy writing in longhand and I have gotten back to writing um, notes in cards, um, thank you notes, uh, uh, Christmas cards. I tend to buy blank 
postcards so I can write notes. And um, I don't have a preference for pens, um, but I do like um, something that has a point. So it looks more like an ink pen, if you will. Mm -hmm. it, it blows, it floats a little bit better in mm -hmm. terms of my handwriting. And I love to hear people say, oh, I love your handwriting because you can't take that for granted anymore. No. So. <laughs> or, or ever, right? So right. Oh, that's lovely, that's lovely. What's your superpower? Oh, my superpower. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, my faith mm. is my superpower. Uh, I am more and more courageous to talk about how the, the Holy Spirit, she, uh, empowers me, uh, not in a preachy evangelical type of way, but uh, clearly with some indication of, oh, the Spirit, she, has really led me to this place or to this person or to say certain words um, or to affirm some things that I feel deep within. I, I think one of your, you, you are incredibly committed to whatever you say you're gonna do. I think that's a superpower. <laughs> I do. I think that's not oh, just a character oh. or part of your personality. I think that's one of your superpowers. You are one of the most dependable people I know. <laughs> well, um, Loyalty is uh, high on my list of mm -hmm. commitments. So mm -hmm. if I, uh, and I grew up with a parent, well, parents, particularly, I have all of these little pithy sayings for my dad. So uh, your word is your bond. Mm -hmm. If you make a decision to say you're going to do something, it's in the back of my head. Your word is your bond. Your word is your bond. My dad would say, Evelyn, your word is your bond. <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's nice. That's, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, shit. It just rolls <laughs> off my tongue. <laughs> it, and I'll do it repetitively, you know, like <laughs> in threes and fives sometimes. For the point, to make the point. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right, all right. Um, and you talked about this a little bit. Um, this, this is the next question. You talked about this a little bit, but tell us more about how have you survived certain violences in teaching? Ah, so um, I, I mentioned uh, Miss Miss Hobson. Um, I was very strategic when I was living in Dallas, Texas, to find a congregation that I did not have to justify what I did, or I didn't have to hear them talking about, oh, she's teaching at Southern Methodist University. And, but um, I, I found an, a congregation that had lots of teachers on all levels, kindergarten, elementary, high school, junior high, even administrators. And um, Kirkwood Temple Christian Methodist Episcopal Church was that place. And one of my favorite conversation partners was a retired um, elementary school teacher uh, and uh, Miss Gwen Hill. Uh, and Miss Hill just knew how to talk to you about stuff. I didn't have to, excuse me, I didn't have to translate. I would just say, Miss Hill, I just don't know. And she would look at me with this deep penetrating, I'm listening to what, anticipating what I was going to say. And, and I'm listening, I'm listening. That was the way she would look at me. And then she would just give me these little pearls of wisdom or make me laugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it would just always help me. Uh, and, but she would be very concrete in giving me advice. And there were others at the church that would do the same thing. Um, uh, child, I understand. And then come, would come the advice. Mm 
-hmm. So it was teachers who were in the public school systems. Uh, I, I embraced them. And not only the ones at my congregation, but others that I have had made friends with over the years. Okay. Next question. What healings have you witnessed or received in the classroom teaching? Mm. I would call, I know there are several, but the first one that comes to mind was, um, I, I, I taught a course at Perkins called The Church in a Social Context. And um, I would use uh, uh, the book, Learning to be White as a required reading. And uh, some of the students just protested. They would go tell other teachers, she's making us read this book. And uh, it would come back to me and some of the teachers would take authority to, to say, well, these students are complaining about this book. And, uh, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> um, it's my classroom. I make a determination on what's required. But uh, years later, I had a, a student that was in that class that came back and um, as an alum, and she thanked me for the class and particularly for allowing her to read that book. That was for a healing. It didn't take, it wasn't overnight. But then I've had students who uh, were also in that class that read uh, other materials and, uh, and because they were in um, uh, mixed race families, uh, they were predominantly white, but they had children who had married other races, they would come to me kind of clandestinely and say, thank you. And also ask me for other resources so they could deal with the racism that they had experienced mm -hmm. um, against their own family members, against their grandchildren, especially when you have grandchildren, you go like rush in like Superman and said, no, mm -hmm. don't talk mm -hmm. about my child like that. Mm -hmm. So that I saw that as healing. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, what have you enjoyed most about the teaching life? Uh, when students um, when students have the light bulb come on in their in their minds, you, and they begin to just take the conversation to another level that you hadn't even thought about, mm -hmm. um, or even in their writing on their papers, they take it to another level where they're thinking synthetically and they're pulling together resources and they take it upon themselves to even do research that's not even required for the particular assignment. Uh, and then um, I, this kind of builds on itself, Dr. Westfield. So you've uh, when students who have been in your class and then they eventually get accepted into a doctoral program and, and you know without a doubt uh, that they are building on some of the things that you've heard them write about or read about uh, as they moving into as they move into their um, their doctoral programs and then go on to get a PhD. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can see the generations starting to form, right? And your influence yeah. on the generations. That's that's sweet, right? Sweet. Last yeah. question: yeah. Okay. When you are old, not now, but when you become old, and have been teaching a long, long time, still not yet, but in, into the future. What miracles will you have performed? Ooh, that's an humbling question. What miracle miracles will I have performed? Um, wow. Um, 
Okay, so I will have developed the ideal course that helps my students and I generate um, um, artifacts that would include film, music, visual arts, um, uh, and in addition to literature, books or writings that integrate um, the questions about theology and the and the human body. That would be my miracle. That would be it. That, that sounds marvelous, right? Now you in, in you have in the last several years begun to intentionally incorporate the writing of plays and musicals and documents. Tell us a little bit about that aspect of your teaching. So um, I teach a course uh, titled um, Honoring the Body, um, bio, uh, Practical Theological, Biomedical, and Bioethical Aspects on uh, the, uh, a Christian Practice. So building on Stephanie Paulsell's work and my work uh, with the Valparaiso project on uh it, we wrote we both wrote chapters about honoring the body so i have taken that to uh, to develop a course that looks at <clears throat> um, honoring the body of medical professionals and most recently honoring the body of teenagers um and um and prior to that uh i have um uh led the association of practical theology into commissioning a, a play, and now it's a um, a film titled "Do No Harm," which looks at uh, the uh, women uh, who were used as research instruments, who were research subjects, un uh, without their permission, obviously, the enslaved women of Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy uh, that uh, were in Miriam Sims' biography. So that film now is available on the website for the Association of Practical Theology. And the play itself is now being done in a number of places, particularly in the Dallas region. So that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> but wow. uh, yeah, it's, um, that's, that's one of the things that I feel most proud of. And uh, uh, the, the, the course gives me a platform for engaging students as I think about uh, the next project. Mm -hmm. But I, more and more, I hear scholars, instead of just being um, experts for documentaries and experts for other storytellers, becoming the playwrights, becoming or supporting the creation of art, because our work needs more expressions than just the very narrow expressions of traditional patriarchal scholarship. So we've yeah. begun to write in poetry. We've always written in poetry. And now right. we're doing documentaries and plays and all sorts of things. And you're a great example of how your work has broken out into these relatively new venues. Yes, yes. Uh, I love teaching uh, uh, a methodology, a research methodology. And uh, uh, Dr. Westville, I'm thankful to you because now people are writing about your research methodology of using uh, poetry in your own scholarship. Um, I found this mostly recently published article that looks at uh, art 
as a form of research and you are the key person that they are referring to in Dear Sisters. So um, yeah, you kind of led us uh, in the way of giving us courage to break out of those norms. And so um, I've always appreciated uh, the opportunity when I was at Wabash to take groups to the museum. Um, and uh, you know, I never knew where that was gonna go, but I just love going to the museum. So now it's just in my soul that you, we must explore the visual arts. We must do these things. So, yeah. Dr. Parker, we have a mutual yes. mutual uh, fan appreciation between the two of us. We've known each other a long, long time um, yes, and, and been of assistance to each other for a long, long time. So thank you for this conversation. It is very critically important that we hear these things about you. And so we can imagine and reimagine what good teachers look like, right? How do we understand what good teaching is and what a nurturing teaching life must be for us to be in this profession for the long haul? So thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Westfield. And thank you, Paul, for being a technological assistant. To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place. Look on our website for details concerning our cohort groups and workshops, concerning our educational resources, and concerning our granting program. A special thanks to sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, and a special thanks to podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames this silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How is that, Paul? <laughs>